0: Before we get into today's podcast, just wanted to remind everyone: if you haven't already, and you're a listener of the podcast, make sure you go over to the iTunes podcast app, drop a rating, leave a comment—you know, anything—because uh, guys, your 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 ratings, your comments is really what's going to help grow this podcast, what's going to make it better, and what's going to make it better for everybody to listen to. So I would appreciate it; it would mean the world to me. Uh, and we're just going to continue making this podcast better. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Av Geek Chronicles podcast. I am your host, Carl, the chief av geek, aviation maniac, or whatever you want to call me. Welcome back, and I hope everyone is having a great start to their week. And if you're like me here in North Texas as a pilot, you are thankful that the weather seems to be changing and it's getting a little warmer. I hope it's getting warmer for everybody else out there, regardless of where you are. Um, I guess if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, if you're down there in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, I guess it could be a little bit different, but for us here in North Texas, uh, exactly where I'm recording from, the weather seems to be turning, Uh, the spring weather seems to be coming, and uh, this week was a good week for flying, so I hope everyone was able to get out and fly if you're a pilot, uh, or if you're a mechanic, get out there and do a little uh, wrench turning. But if not, it looks like the weather is getting better for everyone out there uh, in Abdeek Nation, and I just hope everyone's enjoying it. But if you didn't catch last week, I dropped a solo pod, and I was talking about a topic that every aviator knows very, very, very well. How exactly should you pay for fixed-wing flight training? And the reason why I was talking about this is because I had um, had a listener reach out to me, send me a DM over Instagram, asking me if I could talk about this topic as he had it on his mind and he just wanted to get some opinions about it because he was really torn. He didn't know what to do. And so I told him, I said, this topic is perfect for the podcast. Now, he was actually wanting to know about uh, about this question for helicopter training. And I said, you know what? This is a great topic because this doesn't affect just helicopter uh, trainees. It also affects fixed wing trainees, uh, and I've actually talked about it to multiple guests over uh, over the course so far. We started as we started the uh, the Ask Happy Show, um, but he wanted some opinions on it, and I told him it was a great episode for a podcast. So I took the question, and I actually am going to break it down into two different episodes. So last week I talked about the fixed wing portion of how you should pay for flight training, and. In an upcoming episode, I'm going to invite another ASIAP Geek alumni, uh, Eli Malloy, back onto the show. And I'm going to get his opinion on it because he, as a helicopter pilot, knows all about this. He knows a lot of pilots out there and how they did it. So I think we're going to uh, find some really, really interesting things when we bring in the, the rotorcraft training uh, side of this topic. But that's what we talked about last week and really dug down to whether you should take loans out or not for fixed wing flight school. And I I wanted to devote, you know, the whole episode to it because I think there's a lot going on. Um, There's a lot that people might not understand. Oh, we can just throw loans at it. Oh, I can go to this school. And I feel like sometimes people don't really, really think about it. I think you really need to do your research. I think you really need to figure out what you want uh, instead of just going after it blindly. This is not a decision that you should take lightly. This is something that you really need to think about. You need to do it because you're putting your future... Financial self at risk, uh, possibly, if you make the wrong decision. So, and I I just think my opinion, you know, it's just purely my opinion. Everyone does it differently. Everybody did it, you know, did it ways that I wouldn't. And they're out front, they're doing, you know, they're doing the work fine and they've paid off loans and everything. Um, But I gave my opinion and saying that I'm not a huge fan of personal loans for flight training. I really do not agree uh, with it. I think there's other ways that you could subsidize your flight training uh, so you don't have to take out the kind of loans that other people do and end up paying all this interest. Uh, But that's just my opinions. And if you want to hear more about what I had to say, make sure after today's episode, you go back and you listen to last week's episode because I think it's really, really interesting. And I think it brings a lot of opinions out because I actually asked the opinions of some of my other previous Ask The Av Geek Show guests. So, it's not just my opinion that you hear. You hear other guests' opinions as well. So, what are we doing this week? Well, today, we got a- another episode of the Ask the Av Geek Show, and I'm bringing in another special guest for uh, today's episode after last week. Of course, I did that solo pod. So, today, I got a very special guest, and I'm going to let him introduce himself. So, who do we have today on the Ask The Av Geek Show?
1: What's going on, everybody? It's uh, Ryan Hunt, and uh, you know, happy to be here and share my little slice of aviation.
0: Of course, Ryan, we're so happy to uh, to have you on the show. So, as we start the podcast, like I start every podcast out, I want you to introduce yourself to the audience. Where are you from? How old are you? You know, who is Ryan?
1: So uh, I'm from Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. Been born and raised here haven't lived anywhere else and uh it's just been home uh currently 24 and uh yeah i mean that just been here in georgia flying and having a good time exploring the u.s and the world and
0: you got that yeah. georgia you got that georgia twang to you i can i can i can <laughs> i hear it i love it <laughs> um so where are in georgia exactly
1: so it's uh, Peachtree City is kind of where I tell everybody because everybody knows that place because of all the golf carts we have uh, that's yeah. there. But I, I live uh, 15 miles outside of there, kind of a uh, – they say the country, but it's not the
0: country. Not the it's country. Just,
1: <laughs> just, just a place where we have to have five acres, and everybody thinks that's the countryside. So
0: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. If nobody knows, like literally, Georgia is the golf – it's not golf cart, it's golf car – and I swear, like, cause there's uh, the company, one of the companies is part of our company and I say golf cart and I got like slapped on the hand one time and they say, no, it's a golf, it's a golf car. But for everybody that doesn't know, Georgia is the capital because you have both easy go, which is in uh, Augusta. And then you have uh, club car, which is also there as well. So I would say over two thirds of the world's population of golf cars is there in Georgia. Which is a cr- pretty crazy stat. <laughs> that, that's
1: probably true. I can't remember how many miles Pete Street City has, but uh, I know you can get lost on them. I'm scared to go on them. I won't even bother. All the all the crazy kids scare me riding around on them, doing as hard fast as I as they can, and swerving to miss people. And uh, I'll, I'll stick I'll stick to to the streets. <laughs>
0: yeah. But so if anybody's out there who's listening today, if you've ridden on a golf cart before. It's probably come from Georgia. So just some uh, fun facts out there. But Ryan, relatively speaking, even at your young age, just like you said, you're 24, you're actually fairly experienced within aviation, which I find very, very cool and interesting. So how did you get your start in aviation? You know, take us back to the beginning, where it all started.
1: So day one was pretty much the start in aviation for me, really, Um, my Dads eat up with aviation. Always has been born and raised in it, just like I was. My grandpa, my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles. Uh, We have a really large flying family, and um, something I'm incredibly thankful for. But Uh uh, we, I think my first airplane ride was at four weeks old, something like that. Four or three weeks old.
0: That's crazy. As an infant. An
1: infant sitting in the back of a satabria in my mom's lap, just buzzing around There's my grandma's satabria, and uh, we just it's been my life ever since. Now, that being said, it wasn't always because there was a time, and I'll say maybe 13, 14 ish to 16, where mm-hmm. I wouldn't go to the airport, I wouldn't touch airplanes, I wouldn't talk about them. Um I mean just borderline hated it. Yeah. And
0: Was that just I think because you were so it, you were so like in it at such a young age you're like okay.
1: And I think that was part of it. Um I mean there were some aspects I still liked. I mean I enjoyed flying every now and then. Um sometimes I didn't want to bother with it. Sometimes I just wanted to ride or something along those lines. We were actually my dad's big into restorations and stuff. Okay. And during that time we were restoring an airplane and I never wanted to go and I think this is a big part of it is because I would go to the airport and my dad would hand me a rag or a brush or something and say, Hey, go clean this. Golly, I did
0: not want to go do that. (laughs) So I hate chores, darn it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and, and it felt like chores at the time. And you know, now as a mechanic and a professional pilot, I look back and I go, Why on earth did you act that way? Yeah. Because to me now, it's, it's so cool. I'd pay anything to go back and be further in that because I didn't really understand the importance of, you know, you've got to learn things. Well, to learn things, you got to be there doing it. So obviously the easiest thing he can give a teenage kid is cleaning stuff. I can't mess up cleaning stuff. I'll be fine. But, you know, to get into the riveting and the sheet metal work and the building the panel up and, you know, doing all those kind of the rigging and the engine runs, you know, you had to be around it and learn a little more about it. So, but anyways, about uh, somewhere after I turned 16, um, things kind of clicked and I, I went up and told my parents, I said, I want to learn how to fly. And um I mean, I, I dove into it. And I don't think I've left the airport since. Yeah. So,
0: so, at that early age, when you when you started doing the cleaning and started learning more of the ins and outs of how airplanes function and the pieces and parts that go into it, is that how you kind of started, you know, the interest in also, uh, you know, kind of understanding the mechanic side of aviation?
1: Yeah. Or did it just you come kind of
0: natural? You know.
1: I don't think I'd even say that because. Like I said, I was
0: dragging my feet with it so
1: much when all that restoration was happening. We would go in and, I mean, he, my, my dad might teach me something, or, but it wouldn't really stick. Yeah. And then about the time I started flying, you know, dad mentioned we were still working on airplanes. We had to, you know, we have families, airplanes we maintained. We had our airplanes we maintained. And... So, I mean I would learn a few little things once I finally dove back into it, you know, deciding this is a really cool aspect of life and you know I really should embrace it a little more. And so when I I had gotten my private and I was just starting college and our IA, so our inspector who did all our annual inspections had a worker get sick and couldn't work anymore. And so my dad had mentioned to him that I'd love to work with him. And so it was at that point where I started diving into the maintenance side, uh, is okay. when he called me to come help him. And so that's how I ended up working through and getting my AMP.
0: AMP. So, okay. So that's how, you know, what impacted you getting into that. But what would you say? So you kind of took that break and then you dove into, you know, 16. What was the catalyst, you know, like what was that impact when you're like, okay. This is what I'm going to do.
1: I wish I could say, you know, thinking back, I really I've never really thought of an exact moment. Uh-huh. to What made me go, oh, man, you're missing out. You know, you need to check this. Dive in a little deeper. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I just remember going up to my parents and saying, I
0: want to learn to fly. It was just kind of like so. it was like a light bulb. ding, It <laughs> was just kind of
1: it was exactly like that. It was just a light bulb. And I've, I've, I think that's how I've said it numerous times is a light bulb went off and I dove in head first.
0: Yeah. So no, that's pretty funny. Cause it, it's like literally that same thing. It took me forever. And I kind of, I, I released a whole episode where I actually talked about kind of how I got into this world. And it literally was the same thing. It was just like this little light bulb. I've been thinking about it for 20 something years. And then it just kind of struck like ding. <laughs> and I'm like, this is what I got to do. This is what I love doing. And so that's yep. just when it started. Um, So, with that, you know, growing up inside an aviation family, kind of having a lull, then helping other people, getting into it, learning the mechanic side, flying yourself. Whether you've learned these lessons in aviation or not, what have been some of the most important values that you've taken out of, you know, your your young life so far?
1: Be kind and be a friend. I mean, as you know, this this community is so small and tight knit,
0: especially because everybody it's so big. Everybody. It's like big, yeah. but it's small. It's
1: like crazy. It is. And everyone knows everybody. And so from day one, you know, my dad and my mom, even my mom as well, always kind of stressed on, you know, having a good image and, you know, being kind and backing up that image, you know, don't just be a, a face, you know, thoroughly be that person you want to portray. So I think that's just something so big and important is to, you know, be kind and share. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times people have come up with issues at our hangar, you know, Oh my God, guys, I just popped, you know, pop this tire and I don't know what I'm going to do. And we'll, call the FBO and say, Hey, wheel these guys over to our hangar. We'll get it fixed. Yeah. I mean, they go get the parts and it's, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of giving. And, um,
0: I'd like so to su- I'd I like, like to know. sum I- it up sometimes. It's almost like, cause basically like what you're saying is doing the right thing is always the right thing.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. And, and so I think that's something that's always been stressed to me. And, you know, even my grandpa, he, he, he always tells us he's carved a wide path, and isn't that the truth? I can't tell you how many places I've been where somebody's been, oh, Jimmy Hunt, oh, let me get this story for you. But the thing is, he's always been kind, Yeah, and he's always shared, and he's always been a friend. And so I think that is something very important to me.
0: Yeah, that's just – and it's funny because, you know, especially young aviators, you know, if they can fly with other people they'd love – the opportunity for someone to split the cost. But I'm just one of those people that if anybody ever wants to fly and I offer it, heck, I offered it to my, my pastor. I've offered it to some of my church friends, even some of my friends outside, just like, Hey, if you guys want to be introduced to this world, like come with me. Like, yeah, they're like, Oh, well, what's it going to cost? I go nothing like this isn't about money. Like this is just me introducing you to the world that not many people get to understand and see.
1: Absolutely. And uh, in fact, it's kind of funny you said that. I mean, I just know her, I think it was yesterday morning. A girl I went to high school with, actually, I, I've grown up with her. She, I mean, first grade to graduation, she uh, reached out and said, Hey, I'm kind of interested in this. You know, yeah. what can you point me in the right direction? I'm like, Oh, perfect. More people. Yep. All right, let's talk.
0: <laughs> it's like, Ah, recruitment. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I love it. So, speaking of that, at the young age in recruiting and training, I've already had a few fixed wing pilots so far on the show, but everybody's training kind of is differently, you know, how it all worked. So how did your training go? You know, how, I guess, how long did it take? How did you do it? And I guess what ratings are you up to now?
1: So by no means was I the fastest. Yeah. Um, I know people and I applaud them who under a year pretty much. I mean, just built up time. They've got the commercial and everything from nothing. And good for you. That's awesome. Um, I started off in a 172, and it took me almost a year and a half to get my private. Okay. And a lot of that was playing um, because in the middle of that, I got my tailwheel and my family had a cub. And I'd go fly the cub. I just, oh, I'm good. I'm good. And, yeah, you know, I got my, I got my 60 days for my solo or yeah. what, whatever the time frame is. I'm forgetting right now. Maybe it's 90. Um. Anyways, I'd go jump in the cub and I'd go buzz around and uh, oh dang, you know, should have gone and done a lesson instead. Oops. I learned anyway. <laughs>
0: yeah. So you, you uh, learn by you learn by doing sometimes. <laughs> exactly.
1: And, and and you know all the in depth stuff. I obviously did with my CFI but uh so it took a little while to get my um my private and then it was a lot of playing after that. Playing with the Cub, playing with uh, you know, the one seventy two some and I, I don't even remember what the time frame was after that for what ratings I got. I know at some point I went and got my multi because my dad had just bought a Baron and, and we ended up selling that, you know, six, seven months later, maybe a year later. And, um, then, uh, at some point I sat there and I saw how much time I had and I go, wow, I'll just get my commercial. And cause the instrument, ah, uh, was not doing well with the instrument. I just didn't <laughs> like
0: it. Yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. And I, I'm like <laughs> pushing everything off. I'm like, hey, exactly. we got to do the it. Let's just do the it.
1: Instrument, I just shoved aside. You know, I, I think I got after my private, I think I did 40 or excuse me, uh, 20 hours of dual um. Before and then, let's see. I did 20 hours of dual, and then just shoved it off to the side almost forgot it. And I don't know what remember remember what happened that I just kind of left it be. Oh, I know exactly what it was. The dang plane I was using sold. Um, yeah, that that's a big one. I should have remembered that. But uh, yeah. So then I went and got my commercial. Then. You know, fast forward, I got my instrument after that. So I think all in all, it was a, uh, I don't know, five-year process. Five-year process. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, easily I could have, you know, hit it and done a lot better. I mean, a lot of it was playing and abusing, you know, what I had, you know, given to me. I shouldn't say given because I've always worked for it. That's a bad way to bad way to stay that because uh-huh. I've always been there anytime it rarely was i ever given anything and not had to work for it yeah because i mean it was that's something you just abuse and you know so uh whether it was washing the airplanes or you know helping change tires or oil changes or whatever be it with my dad and then i got my amp and now i really got to do some work with it all so um and then paying for gas and all that when i could and especially once I got the AMP job that helped a lot with that. But yeah. So, you know, just to bring that all back around about a five year process of all my ratings to where I'm at now. And I'm at 1300 hours and just shy of ATP. So that'll be.
0: So, and this, I guess, is something that I ask of everybody. And you know, you kind of talked already about, you know, how you've been able to fit this experience. And even though it's kind of taken a little bit longer than most people, you know, you've still gotten it done. But looking back, kind of how you were growing up, is there anything you maybe wish you could have experienced a little more of as kind of younger? You know, maybe whether that be a sport, a hobby, travel destination. When you look back, is there anything you say, man? Maybe you should have tried that.
1: You know, honestly, I've never been one to look back and go, geez, I wish I did something differently, just because, I mean, it is it is what it is. And you're um, still young, too. So it's couple, like- <laughs> yeah, and I can't look that back that far. Yeah. I mean, there's not that much that I, I, I've done, but uh, maybe some the occasional sports or something like that. I was like, man, I wish I kind of would have tried that out mm-hmm. a little more, but, you know, other than that, I've been incredibly happy with how everything's unfolded thus far. And, uh, you know, I, I never stressed one thing so much that the sole focus was there and I missed out on something else. I've, everything was always very well-rounded yeah. and spread out. So,
0: Which, hey, it's not a bad thing. But as an experienced young professional in this field, I mean, you're only 24, so we'll consider yourself a young professional. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Even if sometimes the, the fun things we do in the air might not be considered professional. <laughs> uh, but what have been some of the biggest lessons, whether that and we can kind of combine them, right? Because maybe there's just some big ones that might not be aviation related. Uh, they could just be life related. But what are some of those biggest lessons that you learned so far in your young career and your young life that you still hold very, very close to you today? That you kind of like, OK, I experienced that. I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen again. Or I experienced that and I want to continue doing that.
1: You know, we touched on it already and that's, uh, you know, helping others and being kind to others. And, you know, it's a small community. And so I've seen firsthand at, you know, I can't say, and, and if I've done it, I'm not aware of it, but, um, and, and if I've done it to anybody, i truly apologize. But burning bridges is one thing that I've always tried not to do. I don't like burning bridges. I thought that's not a cool thing to do. But I've seen so many people do it one way or the other, and it just never works out. Yep. I mean, they're like, and so that's, I I, I like to learn from other people's lessons. Um, I like to attempt to at least, you know, okay, some might slip by, but. So that's one thing that I've seen happen to plenty of people. They burn a bridge and in some roundabout way, it burns another one and another one and another one. And it just kind of spreads out into this huge effect. And that's just, I, I don't see, or I do not wish to have that happen to me. So that's something I always try to watch out for. And, um, that's, that's kind of a big aspect and big lesson I've learned for, through other people. so
0: yeah, and especially I mean because you had touched on it that I mean even in the small world well the big small world that is aviation, it's like if you burn one bridge, I don't think people realize like how quickly that one bridge can start affecting your success or you know, mm-hmm. like, how, the things that you're able to do and the people the way people perceive you uh, because you burned that one bridge in aviation. Uh, exactly. so no, I agree 100%. Uh, but from your early life now, let's get into kind of your, your current life and what you're doing now. And we're going to, we're going to jump into kind of what you're doing for your job, how you love flying, uh, the old classics and warbirds. And then we're also going to talk uh, a little bit about the, the mechanic side, because I haven't talked to an official and a mechanic before, uh, before I had Mel on and he was one of my first guests. So I'm really interested in learning a little bit, uh, more about that. Um, but for you, because there's some big news and some big changes uh, lately in your flying life, uh, a lot of people talk about the airlines, getting to the airlines, going to the airlines. I'm going to be an airline pilot as kind of that career to shoot for, uh, per se, in aviation. But you took the pilot, uh, the corporate pilot route. And so I want to dive, uh, dive a little bit deeper into that because I know. Maybe for people that want to become pilots, that's not really some of the first things that they think about. Oh, I'm going to do the corporate thing. That's You always hear in the news, oh, the airline's this, the airline's that. Um, but I, I want to hear your opinion and kind of what are the differences of the jobs um, and how people might pick one or the other. Um, so let's dive a little bit into that. But first, did you ever have, like, could you ever think back? Did you ever have like an alternate, alternative, excuse me, career goal Or were you just firm set on becoming a pilot?
1: Being a mechanic.
0: Being a mechanic, really? (laughs)
1: So, uh, yeah, I mean, that was always the backup. Um, Even when I was going to school and and we went or I went for two years to college and I focused on flying more, focused on the maintenance side more and ended up dropping out of college just because I knew I couldn't afford – to have anything or you know have any failures or i just time management was not going well for me at the time so ended up to make a little more time dive straight into the flying and the maintenance side but uh yeah i mean as soon as i started doing the maintenance thing i mean this is my backup if anything happens you know flying wise that i can't do that i'll just go you know turn wrenches and i am a-okay with that i mean i it's something i do enjoy um you know, sometimes I hate it, but you know that's a lot of things in most jobs. But uh, no, that's that has been the fallback from almost day one from deciding I was going to be a professional pilot.
0: But it's almost like a side gig now.
1: Yeah, and now that's that the thing. Actually doing, I've got both of them going for me because you're right; it, it is pretty much a side gig, and uh, and it's something I can sit there and do on the side. And the thing is, most of it. Most of the maintenance I'm doing nowadays is is the family fleet and, uh, you know some airplanes we've been asked to maintain which is pretty pretty small but uh no yeah you're absolutely right it pretty much has gone to a side game so.
0: <laughs> all right so let's get it uh let's get into kind of your flying career so why the corporate pilot route is this something you always? You knew you wanted to do. It was okay. I don't want to go to the airlines because I also, you know, I have the mechanic side, or yeah, corporate because it's just interesting. I get to fly different jets. Why was that the route you chose versus the other routes?
1: I can't say it was exactly the route I planned on, and I say that because I was always pretty open minded about yeah. where I would go. Um, when I pretty, if you would ask me after I got my commercial. What I plan to do, I'd tell you fly for a living. And where on that spectrum that was, it didn't matter to me. Yeah. I mean, I could have been crop dusting, corporate flying, part 91, part 135, uh, you know, 121, freight, any of it would have been a okay with me so long as I could live the life I wanted to live at that time. Um, Then, fast forward some amount of time, I don't remember how long or what the time frame was. I was asked to go do some right seat flying on a King Air 200. And I enjoyed it, loved it. It was great. Part 91, um, you know, mainly getting the experience, the instrument experience, the, you know, just the high altitude, the twin, the turbine, you know, just all that, just getting exposure to it. And I enjoyed it thoroughly. Well, then that led to flying right seeing a CJ2. And, you know, okay, now we're jets. We're going high. We're going far. You know, this is a cool place we went to. You know, oh, I got to sit four days here and explore (laughs) that town a little bit. And so it it was just always really cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, then I had to kind of think about do I want to do airlines? Do I want to look for something else? I really, really like the corporate stuff I've been doing, but trying to find something that route. Where do I need to go now? So we're looking at a fork in the road, and uh, I started doing some looking. I wasn't quite at you know fifteen hundred yet, so airlines wasn't quite an option. And I finally told myself, I'll look and apply for some one thirty-five jobs, flying. Uh, you know wherever, whatever, um, so long as I felt it was a good company. And if something happens, good, cool, great, I'll do that. I'm young, I've got time, you know, that'll, that'll work out. But if I hit 15 and nothing happens, then I'm starting to send applications out to
0: airlines. Yeah,
1: And so I ended up getting picked up before uh, the 1,500 hours, so... Here I am now, going out for a 135 and uh, just waiting to start working.
0: <laughs> the part that you want to be doing. Um, exactly. So if other young aviators ask you the question, okay, should I look at the, the corporate flying route or should I look at the airlines or should I look at the freight or anything, what would you say to other younger aviators out there who may be contemplating that same route that you had to choose?
1: I think so many people go into aviation and immediately think airlines. Yeah, um, I think really all I ask is that people realize there's more work opportunity than just the airlines, um, because once you start getting into specifics of things, it depends on what works for you. Yeah, um, some people they want the you know whole month scheduled out. You know exactly what you're going where you're going what you're flying, what you're doing. And some people can live with the spontaneity of 91. Uh, You know, uh, hey, two hours, we're going to, uh, you know, Timbuktu. Um, Hey, in uh, 45 minutes, we need you at the airport for this. Yeah. But then there's also the 135 stuff, which I've got, and they go, okay, we're going to use you for this amount of days and where you go in there We'll find out, and but then we'll give you this amount of days off, and so you know that's obvious. That's what I've opted for, you know, at the moment, and I've got a flexible schedule. I can make all that work. So, you know, I was doing the drop of the hat stuff but leading up to this, and it was great and all, but I just needed something full time, and this is what I found.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's a really interesting decision that I think most. You know, people they really have to think about because I have a uh, a member of my flying club. Uh, he flies for one of the big airlines. Um, I won't say which one, but he he said the reason why he joined, and he's a fairly new member, only been six months. But he said because the people I'm flying with on a daily basis in the airlines it was causing me to miss the fun of flying. Like why Mm -hmm. I started doing this in the first place, because when I go to work and I fly a big jet, it it just feels like a job. It's not fun. You're doing Mm -hmm. a lot of the same routes. You're, it's all procedurals and there wasn't anything like, there's no exhilaration to it. And this isn't the first person I've heard it from. And so I think really, you know, especially young aviators in general, they really have to think about that. Like if you want to work and do it for fun like there are other routes than just taking the airline airline absolutely
1: and and there you know you're exactly right I know some people who they want that nine I I can't say it's nine to five because we all know it's not nine to five but I kind of label it as with the airline it's a nine to five because it's show up go these routes and you know leave and so It's a lot of the same stuff, but at the same time, it has its perks elsewhere. It's like everything; they they all have pros and cons. And you know, I like the idea that I don't know where I'm going to go. I could go anywhere on this side of the world and either sit or go and fly some more, or whatever be it. But that being said, I know it's going to turn into a job at some point. Mm -hmm. I mean, they all do. You do it enough, but the thing is. So long as I'll be flying, I'm gonna be a, a happy camper. So
0: Yeah. But it's just it's just something that I think, you know, they only people only see they keep their eye on the prize on one thing, but then they get all the way there and they're like, ah, I should've done this thing. Well, mm-hmm. just think about it early. Like that's what I, I want people to realize and why I'm doing things like this, is just to get all the different career paths out there and the information out there just so people can maybe think about it differently. Um, Absolutely. So what was the first plane you flew commercially?
1: I guess it'd have to be that King Air 200, um, uh-huh. and uh, that was a, a 91 deal that uh, a couple of buddies at my aer- airport flew for the people, and they like to have two people in the cockpit, and uh, so I got to go do that, and that was really my first IFR experience, my turbine experience, and that's where I got a good idea. Of what's to come,
0: mm-hmm. so. But the big thing is now you're on the big jet. You're on the uh, the Falcon. So I knew you were in town training just uh, just a, a few short week ago. Few short mm-hmm. weeks ago. Um, so how was that? Let's let's kind of give the audience an understanding of type training, and I know I released a podcast episode uh, a couple episodes ago about it uh, when I was talking with two guests, but how was it for you doing the type training for the Falcon?
1: So, I truly enjoyed it. I know a lot of people oh man, that's that's a lot of hard school or whatever be it, but, you know, there is still a maintenance side of me that likes to dig into an airplane and find out what's going on and stuff, and, Mm -hmm. you know, as far as maintenance is concerned, I've always done piston ga airplane or you know general aviation airplanes um so i'm I'm, i have to do a little reading on the turbine stuff before i understand anything with that um however it's still interesting to me to go deep dive into a system and find out what's going on with this and that and you know learn a little something new per system per day and and so type school was a lot of fun to me um there it's highs and it's lows. I mean, you know, it's it's there's a lot going on. I mean you're sitting on the fire hydrant and drinking as much as you can. So um did you have
0: the sorry. uh did you have the late night sim late night sim training? No.
1: Well we actually had uh the first sim session so we were up at five thirty every morning, you know okay. sitting sitting down there at the uh at the um hotel you know, rubbing our eyes and going, golly, you know, what did we do yesterday? Uh, God, I don't remember. Um, oh, we did these. Okay. Well, we'll probably step it up from there. So, uh, what did he say we were going to do? Oh, you know, single engine ILS to mist go around high, heavy, hot. Oh, okay. Yeah, that'll work. And then we jump in and meet with our instructor and he reminds us all and we go, Ooh, no, we shouldn't have even talked about that. That was yesterday. (laughs) And, uh, and we dive in and we go go fly the sim after uh, we get everything briefed up and ready. And, you know, you just sit there and prep and prep and prep and know the airplane and know your limitations and your master warning panel. And, and uh, you go and take your
0: check ride. So basically, I so, mean, the six from what I'm hearing is kind of the successful way to do it is just keep an open mind going into it and just have fun with it, take it as a learning experience.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you go in there and experience, and you know, know you're going to be learning. I think the hardest thing for me was getting my schedule normal or two tight training specs. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Um, I'm a I'm a night owl. I always I'm up late. I sleep in. You know, I I, I wake up when I need to, obviously. But to get under the mindset of Wake up, go to school, sit there from 8 to – or 8.30, 9, whenever we started. I don't even remember now. To 5, 5.30, and then go home and try to learn what you learned that day. I'd sit – this first night, I sat there and I studied 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 and I was like, oh, it's midnight. I better go to sleep like I would normally any day. Well, then the next day, I didn't re- you know retain anything because – I went to bed late and got up early. I said, all right, that is clearly not the way we need to do things. (laughs) So that took a little reprogramming to realize, you know, sure, studying is good, but you got to realize only study so much because that good night's rest was more important than, you know, oh, let's say I, I only studied three of the four subjects, but I got a good night's sleep. Okay, that'll you know, that's an okay. That's not going to hurt as much as oh, I got all four subjects but only got, you know, 5 hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. That's going to hurt you way more. Or it did for me at least. I know everybody's different. Some people apparently can do that. I was not one of them. So <laughs> everybody studies differently. That, exactly. And that little reprogramming I think was the hardest part for me. Um, after that, learning the airplane was a joy, flying the airplane, well, flying the box at the airplane, the supposedly the airplane was fun. Um, but there was times where we were in the box and things are happening and I'm just going, holy cow, imagine if this was really happening, it'd be a bad day. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, but luckily the Falcon, I mean, it's, it's such a, I mean, capable aircraft that even a bad day is. <laughs> still not like your worst day
1: yeah I, I mean you could say that for sure um it it, it does everything really well once you kind of get your head wrapped around the french and how they think um things things work out a lot better because i mean there are some some aspects where you go huh i wonder what they were thinking when they designed that <laughs> but uh, af, at once you and that's kind of how they joke about it there at at flight safety was you know the french had their way of doing things and so long as you can understand that you're gonna love it and they're absolutely right i mean there's some things that don't quite add up or there's some verbiage that doesn't make sense but the airplane's just phenomenal Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's fantastic
0: so So. i know you haven't and maybe you, you you have a taste of maybe how the schedule is going to be, um, even though you haven't lived the schedule yet. Uh, but now that you're on the new aircraft, do you know what a typical day for yourself is going to look like? Or maybe a week schedule?
1: There's truly no telling. Yeah. Um, I know they own me for 12 days, and whatever happens in that 12 is kind of what happens. Um. You know, we have our 135 limits, you know, we can't be, or we can't fly more than 10 hours and then our duty times, you know, if they go over this much duty time, they have to allow for this much rest and, and, you know, things like that. But as far as where I'll go and what routes I'll take, I mean, that, that can change in a heartbeat really, because we have a, quite a few aircraft and we can be thrown on any of them, um. And where those planes will go is, you know, to be determined when you're sitting there and wheels are up pretty much. Mm-hmm. Or I, I guess I should say passengers are on board because about that time it's it's pretty set in stone. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, there's no telling. I, I hear some people flying, you know, all 10 hours of the day. And it's, uh, you know, New York to California, California to Florida or something like that. I mean, yeah. there's truly no telling. Um. I I couldn't give much insight on that until I I really do it and see it, but I know it's, it's pretty up in the air.
0: So this commercial work that you're doing now that you, you're doing this full on, uh, for a full-time job, even though you've just started, what makes this type of work so rewarding for you?
1: I'll get to fly. (laughs) You get Um, to be in the
0: cockpit up in the air. Yeah, I I get to sit in the (laughs) the cockpit
1: and fly a really cool jet and have a good time. And, uh, See the world. go to
0: interesting places? Yeah, go to
1: interesting <laughs> places, see the world and uh like every every pilot jokes about, you know, laugh at my kindergarten teacher for telling me I can't look out of a window. That's what I'm saying. That's so, what I'm
0: saying. <laughs>
1: no, uh I don't know. I mean, I, I to me it's just rewarding that I can get from point A to point B and you know, it's like a magic carpet. I mean, who ever thought you could sit there and you know, sit in one spot, and you know, three hours later, be all the way or halfway across the country. I mean, that that's just so cool to me, and uh, you know, it's it's neat to see and do every time. So,
0: and from the corporate world, you don't have to, uh, you you don't have to go through the airport. You don't have to live with the airport problems. You have these beautiful things called FBOs, and there's some really nice ones around the world. I mean, I'm yeah. to a few. <laughs> yeah, that's-
1: that, that's, that's pretty much the case. I mean, we, we get to do a, a little different treatment, that's for sure. Um,
0: so, now we know a little bit more about your corporate flying and, and what you're doing now on the new jet and how your type training and everything went. But I think what's been really interesting and, and what first uh, brought me on to you was all your flying that you're doing with the, the classic airplanes, these Warbirds. So... I mean how did you was it again was it just kind of the family thing and that's how you originally got into flying the classic aircraft and kind of how what is flying classic aircraft like?
1: Um, it's 100% family that started that uh, my grandpa he, he just always enjoyed the old warbirds and, and classic vintage aircraft and you know the planes he kind of grew up with I guess I should say um and if we were making jokes I'd probably say right flyer if he was sitting here listening but <laughs> um no he uh I don't know he, he's he's always been a buyer seller he always likes to buy an airplane fly it for a little while enjoy it send it on the road and so that was just kind of one category of airplane he always enjoyed and so we were always kind of dealing with him and and buying them and uh Unfortunately, all the fighters and stuff left before I came around, or else I'd be really excited to see those. But I'm still excited to see those, even when they're not in the family.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: but yeah, so it just kind of started with I told you that I, we were restoring an airplane, and that was kind of when I was not in the aviation thing. Well, that was actually a T uh, 34, mm-hmm. uh, a model T 34, which is a Beechcraft two seat trainer. That was used in 53 to 55, I think, um, and, the, and the Navy used it a little longer, but that was when Air Force used it, so almost Korean era, but that was their primary trainer, and that was kind of my intro into the warbird scene was getting to fly that around, and I don't know, there, there's just something cool and, in, in, uh, you know, something neat that... I get to go and fly around this airplane that trains so many of our armed forces fly or, you know, trained so many of the armed forces in aviation. I know I'm butchering how to word that, but that's okay. (laughs) I mean, uh, I don't know. It's just just neat to go and protect that little piece of history. Uh And so, you know, I've always been a big proponent of keeping them flying. So, you know, all these World War II trainers and, um, you know, old vintage biplanes and fabric rag wings and whatever you want to call them. I mean, they just need to keep flying in my eyes. I mean, because that's part of our history. I mean, aviation has a history too. And I know all these museums do a great job of, you know, displaying these airplanes and stuff. But at the same time, it's so rewarding to sit there uh, you know on the tarmac and watch a P51 fly by and you just hear that and you think that is what helped win the air you know air superiority over Germany yeah. and in World War 2 and I mean to me that is just so amazing that so many people you know fought and died and you know just to protect us and that piece of equipment and um I don't know. I, I think it's just shows respect towards them that we respect these airplanes and we show thanks to what they did by keeping them flying and, you know, just allow or, you know, to share with the people who don't realize what was going on with it. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I think that's just kind of a neat aspect of uh, of something we do with it. So... You know, once I started flying the T-34 some, it led, and I had been flying the Cub, J-3 Cub, and, you know, building up tailwheel time. Well, then that led into a Steerman, which was the primary trainer during World War two, mm-hmm. or one of the primary trainers. And then that led into the T-6, and, uh, you know, it, each one just kind of stepped into the next— I got to climb the ladder, and and now I'm getting to fly some really neat stuff. And uh, it's just really cool to preserve that.
0: So what's the coolest either Warbird or classic aircraft that you've had the opportunity, A, either to pilot or be a passenger on?
1: How many can I give you? <laughs>
0: uh, um, list list your top three.
1: Top three, uh, P-51. Mm-hmm.
0: Which I I want to fly in so bad. I mean, I've seen them all the time. And I'm like, oh, come on. It is
1: out of this world. Uh, We've had two in the family back in the 70s and 80s. Oh, wow. That's so cool. uh, I think the last one left, I think, 90, 91. And that's just a lot of people. I I told you my my grandpa carving a wide path. Well, nine times out of ten, the story starts with some P-51 story. So that's uh, so how everybody knew my grandpa, mm-hmm. or, or a good bit of people. So anyways, that was always kind of a personal family history airplane. But um, the second would be a T-33, which is the uh, our first jet trainer in the U.S., and that was just a cool ride. I mean, that, yeah. that's just neat sitting there doing big, huge Four thousand diameter loops with the AC blowing on you, going, "Oh man, this is pretty cool." <laughs> and uh, then, and um, I don't know. The, I, I've got to give it to the thirty-four. I mean, I know a lot of people. Oh, that's just a two-seat bonanza, and it is. But I don't know. It holds my first warbird. It holds a little yeah. special spot in my heart. So, it, yeah, it, no, those are probably my top three. I mean, that number three, I could probably list any. I don't want to be yeah. happy. But.
0: So, what's one uh, classic that you haven't flown yet, but it's on your, you know, Warbird classic bucket list? Sea Fury or Bearcat. Okay. Strive high. <laughs> one day? Maybe one, one day we'll One day. On. <laughs> All right. So, what would be... Okay, for me, right? Like, uh, you know, a young aviator. I love watching. Them. I've seen him watch. I'm around him at the airport, because the airports that I go to, they're there. What would you recommend to any young aviator that wants, you know, has an interest in maybe flying or getting into uh, having the opportunities to fly these classic aircraft?
1: Volunteer is the easiest answer to that or win the lottery. Um, (laughs) There's so many cool. work
0: hard in life.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's so many cool organizations that strive to do exactly what I think is necessary. That's to keep them going, work on them, make sure they're in good airworthy condition and then to exercise them. And, um, you know, CAF's the biggest one that comes to mind is there's places all around the U.S. that um, have these little bases and they have their CAF airplane, and they go and they keep that flying. And I mean, it really just starts on with wiping it down Mm -hmm. and you know, oh, cleaning bugs off, cleaning oil, servicing the airplane, learning how to crew it, you know. And then, oh, hey, we got to go to the air show, you know. Why don't you jump in the back and ride with us over there? And they, oh, okay. And so you get to ride it. Then you start learning about the systems, and one thing leads to another. Then you have all the time, and they go, hey, why don't you, you know, Let's go get a flight in this, and um, I think that's that's the easiest lead-in into it. And uh, you know, there's there's a lot of flying museums. They're the same way, and uh, you know, just volunteering and putting in the work and climbing the uh, figurative ladder, <laughs> and um,
0: the one everybody has to climb. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I mean, I, I did it too. I've I, I, I'd sat there and wiped and learned and you know i was thankful that my family was a big part of it and uh, i had my little intro in through there but uh and the thing is i mean hey come to my anger help me wipe things down let's go flying afterwards i mean i want to share it i'm I'm, I'm, a lot of people in this world aren't aren't stingy with things like that uh i mean i know one museum in particular the guy went into the test flight in uh, some sort of airplane. I don't, I don't remember what it was now, but it's a Warbird, something a lot of people would like to go up in. And he goes and do, does a test flight after some maintenance, and he elected not to bring anybody. Well, the owner of the museum ended up just letting them have it. He goes, We don't do empty seats. You know, you take people. And, <laughs> and so. Uh, That's a
0: good person. That's when you know they're good yeah, people. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, people want to share these things. So uh-huh. the biggest advice is go meet. Go meet people. We're all really nice for the most part. And,
0: uh, <laughs> There's a caveat for the most part. <laughs> yeah,
1: I can't speak for everybody. But, I mean, go out, meet people, and and then just start volunteering with museums and stuff and, you know, being friends. And it'll all work out.
0: So, kind of to top off your kind of aviator resume, and we briefly talked about it at the beginning of the podcast, is... Is that your mechanic? You hold an AMP. and um, And just to talk about it real quick, what have been some of the, you know, really important things that you've learned having the ability and that knowledge as a mechanic? I've
1: learned that I don't
0: like doing
1: Beechcraft fuel bladders. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> no, I mean...
0: Which you basically – got to take apart the whole wing basically, right?
1: <laughs> it feels like it, but no, that's really not the case. It's just working with a bunch of little access panels and having your arm get cut up. And you know it's bad when you buy a fuel bladder and the company sends Band-Aids with it.
0: <laughs> Do they really? <laughs> yeah, I'm
1: dead serious. I'm dead serious. So I don't know. I mean there's – the maintenance side, I mean, it's it's a different kind of thought process in some things, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. Um, there's all kinds of little lessons that I've learned with it all, and the thing is, just stay humble with it. Understand that you can make mistakes, and that's one thing. I, some pilots I've run into, they they you know dive and jump on the mechanics, and I realize there are some mistakes that happen where you you, you gotta look at the mechanic and go, really. But mistakes happen if, at the end of the day, everybody walks away safe and goes home to their loved ones. You know, things happen. Understand that we're all human. Um, that's That was my biggest takeaway from the maintenance side of things is because uh, I, I I could – I'd spend all day trying to think of some of the little mistakes I've made. I mean, luckily nothing was major. Nothing ever broke or cost a lot of money, but at the same time, you know, things happen.
0: I mean, we're human. Uh, Exactly. Things – we don't want them to slip through the cracks, but maybe sometimes they just accidentally do. Sometimes Um, it does. All right, so the the kind of the the now the extracurriculars of kind of your your big growing aviation resume is the fact that you're a part of the AOPA flyby crew and you are now the third guest that I've had the opportunity to interview as a part of this crew. <laughs> I think I'm going down the line of the whole crew. I'm going to find everybody and we're going to interview everybody. There you um, go. <laughs> um, but why why be on the flyby crew? What, you know, why did you want to join and be a part of it?
1: Um It goes back to me liking to share. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw this as another avenue to do such. Um, I I look at aviation and I even said, I think I said it at the beginning of the podcast. Um, I look at aviation as a pie and I've got my little slice and I want to share my little slice with everybody. Hey, you know, this is kind of cool. You know, this is how I've gotten to do things. You know, maybe you could try this out too. And uh and so the flyby crew was kind of uh, when I was asked to be on it, it was kind of neat to think about how many people I could reach out to mm-hmm. and show them what I get to do, how I get to do it and and it's not something that I need that for you know personal gratification that's not that's not the case. I just want other people to get to experience it as well. and so. I want people to see, oh geez, that Ryan kid, he's flying that 34 around. I want them to reach out. I want to say them to say, hey, I'm in Atlanta. I'd love to come by and talk with you. I mean, that's all that is. And and I, I love to make connections that way and sit there and uh you know show them what I've gotten to do. And then I wanna I wanna know what they've gotten to do. Mm-hmm. It's not a one sided thing. I mean, I want to hear about how they've come up through aviation. I want to hear how, you know, what their part of it is. And, and I think that was a excellent opportunity with the flyby crew was to be able to do that.
0: Well, and it helps you, I mean, because even though, I mean, you gained your own resume and your own experiences, it could help you maybe experience something else just by simply learning by that. Um, but I know part of the AOPA flyby crew is you guys attend a lot of events. So looking forward here into 2019, what events are you going to be at representing AOPA and the flyby crew?
1: Well, I just got my schedule not too long ago, so I know I'll get to go to sun and fun, thankfully. Oh, nice. And, uh, I'll, I believe I'll, uh, we'll have everything set up to do some representation down there. And, um, I know they've got their three regional fly-ins, um, Tullahoma being the one that's close to us, um, I'd love to go up there, mainly because I've got Tullahoma's some- Tullahoma's
0: in Tennessee, family. correct?
1: Yes. Yep. Yes. Tullahoma, Tennessee. Um, and I've got some family friends there, and I'd like to go up and see them. And is just kind of a cool airport that I've spent a good bit of time at. So I'd love to represent that one. And as always, Oshkosh, that's that's the number one, if mm-hmm. we can do that. one.
0: Woo! <laughs> the uh the aviation shows of all aviation shows
1: exactly i think uh, uh we were talking about it not too long ago i think this year will be number 21 for me oh wow yeah yeah i've been drugged to that one a lot and then after a while it, it's pretty easy to go to
0: does it get better every time yes you go? it does
1: it, re- it really does because uh you get to meet new people and um I, I go for the people. I, I yeah. like to see everybody up there and new location, and it, it's just neat. Yeah, it's a bunch <laughs> of airplanes for a week too. I mean, what's not to love?
0: Music, music people have music festivals, and uh, aviation people we have we have Oshkosh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so for people who maybe haven't listened to all the podcast episodes, or they're just tuning in uh, now, uh, they should also have figured out that your girlfriend is also a AOPA flyby crew member. And if you guys don't know who she is, it's Kayla McLeod. You can follow her over on Instagram at Kayla McLeod. I think I got that right. Um, But in fact, I was really stoked that now I've been able to have both you guys on. But I posed the same question to her and I'm really intrigued to what you have to say. Um, So through being on this team, how have you guys been able to kind of take advantage of your guys' relationship and advocate on the behalf of AOPA kind of together, you know, almost like dual power uh, for, you know, advocation.
1: You know, hmm, I'll have to think about that one a little bit. It's, it just goes to showing two sides of the story. Um, you can go and see how I view things and portray them. And then you can go and see how Kayla does. I mean, she, uh, we get to do some really neat stuff and the flyby crew definitely helps us get to achieve some of that. And so, I don't know. It's, it's pretty cool. And the thing, I mean, look at it this way. I didn't think I was going to sun and fun. Yeah all of february but she was so she gets to show you and i get to sit there and watch her show us too so (laughs) i mean we get to cover each other's back some i guess um yeah no i mean it's just a two-sided deal and uh we both get to go out there and and if people don't want to come talk to me then they can go talk
0: to her I mean, Which it, is it, great because, I mean, you guys both have two different personalities. I mean, you both have two, I would say, separate interests in what you guys kind of want to achieve in the aviation world and i think that's great and being able to advocate that i mean helps many different people because you'll you'll probably uh promote it one way and and it attracts one certain people you know, show up promote it another way and it attracts another group of people thus almost doubling the kind of the effort which i find is really really cool and interesting
1: exactly yeah and then and that's one way I, I truly didn't think of it because i i do know you know as far as goals and wishes and wants i mean we're, we're two different people and uh and so she she has her ways, and I, I have what I've gotten to do thus far, and and so it does reach out to a wider span of audience for sure.
0: So for people who don't know what the AOPA Flyby Crew is, um, you know how or or maybe just the organization themselves, how can people get involved with AOPA or support AOPA? Because I have to say, as a member of myself, I know the purpose of the organization it's great I, it was the first thing I became a member of um, because they always are trying to enhance our general aviation field so how can people uh, support or you know get involved well
1: definitely uh, read or go through their website I mean there's just a wealth of knowledge and information with uh, with their website you can check them out on social media I mean you get little snippets of things here and there of what's going on and, and you know, you know, they, they definitely do. They fight for, for the GA side of things. I mean, that they are pretty much our number one advocate. And, and I think that's something that's really important in today's time. It seems like with, you know, the ATC privatization stuff and, and, you know, all these, even drone regulations and that kind of stuff. I mean, they've got their hand in that too, whether we realize it or not. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I think, it's they definitely deserve support because I mean they are fighting as hard as they can fight for us, and I think we need to show them the, or we need to you know show them appreciation. And um, yeah, I mean, their website has got so much knowledge. I mean, you can go in there and pretty much find any answer or question that you need, and they've got flight planning stuff or you know, talking about medicals. and
0: You can can even find a job on the website. I mean, they have a whole aviation jobs career page, which, I mean, is just incredible. I mean, as a a pilot, the organization is there to help people. Um, I've known somebody who's worked directly for AOPA. I mean, I know what the organization's about. It's a good organization. So if you're in aviation and not a part of AOPA by becoming a member, so I'm going to put my own little plug in, go to the website, become a member. Uh, because your money. I mean, it's being well spent. So that's, that's my little plug.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right I mean, heck, they hold these big regional fly-ins for a reason as well. I mean, they've got three of them this year. Go show your support by uh, coming out to one of those. I mean, you might meet some of our uh, fellow flyby crew members. I mean, Kayla and I might be at one or two and you know, who else might be at the Fredericksburg one or the one over in California, which I'm forgetting exactly what town it is right now, but Regardless, I mean, uh, they're they're a cool event. We were at Gulf Shores last year and had a blast. And they get cool seminars and raffles and you know all kinds of neat little things going away, going around. So,
0: and kind yeah, of one of the one of the things about the flyby crew, and we're gonna jump into our new topic, is I mean. You guys all seem to be very, very well-versed uh, over on social media and are really starting to gain followings uh, because of your presence on there. And kind of one of the things, I mean, again, kind of one of the things that uh, you know, drew me to you and getting to learn more about you is, and maybe this is just something I love about aviation, but it's a space that I can truly document my whole journey through, and I've noticed that you're documenting your whole journey as well through it, uh, doing the same thing so doing this has helped me build some really lasting relationships inside the industry. And because I've seen you do the same exact thing, has it helped you in that same positive way?
1: Absolutely. It's funny because you sit there and said, you know, doing well on social media. I think I do well on social media, but I all I'm there is to sit there and, and kind of like you said, document my path and journey. Um, I think it's neat to sit there and occasionally I'll just give a, hey, you know, check this out. This is what I'm getting to fly now. Or, yeah. hey, guess what? We just jumped in the steerman, Now we're heading to Phoenix with it from San Diego. And, uh, you know, that's all it is. It's, it's, it's nothing much more than that is just getting to share what's going on. And um, I can't tell you how many people I've, I've met through social media that have become very good friends, people I talk to near daily, you know, it's it's absolutely incredible some of the com- connections I've made just because somebody reached out and said, "Hey, I see you're at Oshkosh this year. Why don't we meet up?" Yeah. And you know, there's it's kind of funny, and it's always this one. There's to me, and this might just be me. There's this almost small little awkward moment of golly I feel like I know everything about you but I've never met you before yeah <laughs> and so it's, and then it's once you kind of get the flow going with whoever that may be it, it's 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 pretty cool but um yeah no I mean the connections and and getting to share my little tidbit has been phenomenal and you know, I've I've made some truly good friends. I mean, heck, my sim partner in in Dallas for type school. Yeah, because of social media, I've I've known him uh, three years now, I think. And uh, now we're then we were sim partners and and you know got to hang out and talk little airplanes and learn the Falcon two thousand together. So.
0: And I think I know the answer, uh, or at least how you're going to answer this. But do you believe that social media has really helped the younger generation of aviators connect (laughs) a lot faster than, say, some of our older generation counterparts? I mean, it's like just, you know, it's like how we connected. It's how you and Hunter connected. I feel like we're using it to our advantage to connect with such a wide variety of people across the country and world that it's almost helping us surpass, you know, the older generation of aviators
1: yeah yeah no it absolutely has helped and and um it's kind of funny you know talking to my dad about the whole thing you know he grew up in aviation he had his flying friends but it was all people he bumped into at airports and a lot of mine is all online Mm -hmm. and he in He always yelled at me for social media. He's like, oh, you don't need to be doing that.
0: Well, (laughs) what we all get from our parents.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And then he started seeing and he's gotten to meet a a lot of them, seeing all these people I've met just all across the U.S. And he's like, this is actually really kind of cool. And he's Mm -hmm. told me that before. He goes, you know, I kind of see the I get the social media thing. I mean, we've had people from California come out. And they're in Atlanta, and they come down and, you know, hang out at the hangar with us. And Dad and I are there, you know, working on a cowling for somebody or something. Who knows? And then we stop and get to talk to whoever this is. And we're all chit-chatting and sharing stories. And we all go to dinner and have a good time. And then Dad's like, well, how did you meet him? And I go, oh, I don't know. He followed me for years and mm-hmm. reached out, said he'd be in Atlanta. And he's oh, that's kind of cool. And so he, he kind of... It's funny him getting to see this new generation of connection, building, friend making technology. Yeah. And um, and and so it's funny to kind of see his reactions with it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's just kind of it's something that. I, I guess I learned fairly quickly of how good it can help me, you know, just build quick relationships because we all kind of see what each other's about. We're all, you know, documenting what we're doing and we're doing it in a truthful, positive way. And when other people are doing it in the same way, it attracts them to you. You learn more about them. You want to learn more about them and you just start building these natural very organic, uh, relationships. And I always say on all episodes, you know, if you want a fast way to meet other people in the industry, this is one way you can do it. Very, yeah, very absolutely. Um, absolutely. All right. So let's get into our last topic before we get into the, the fun portion, uh, of the podcast. And it's the portion that I love. I love getting to, because I love hearing the laughs that'll come, uh, from my guests, but the last couple of questions I want to ask are just kind of very general, personal questions that maybe make you you. So if you could look forward, you know, 10 years, where do you think you'll be in your aviation journey?
1: I hope to say happy, um, happy wherever I'm at, doing whatever I'm doing Because once again, I'll stay open minded with it. If I end up a crop duster next year, I mean, hey, so be it. So long as I'm enjoying it Um, and not to dig on crop dusters or anything. I think that's a very viable career. Our farms are important and they're guarding it, you know, one acre at a time. Um, No, uh, yeah, just anywhere, really. I mean, so long as it's supporting the lifestyle I want to live at that moment, I'm excited for
0: it. Mm -hmm. So what? you know, maybe throughout life or through aviation, what are hurdles that you've personally faced and how have you been able to overcome those? And how did you find the answers to overcome those hurdles? Maybe to help, you know, fellow younger, you know, aviators out there maybe going through maybe some of the same things that you had to go through.
1: You know, I think my biggest hurdle was book work. I was never a good studier, a good reader, whatever you want to call it. I mean I, I mean, I do that kicking and screaming. But I think it was just finally realizing this is just a necessary step. You've got to do this. You've got to get through it. And I think it was just kind of having this sit down moment with myself and saying, "All right, let's let's get it in gear. We we can get through this, you know." And stuff you know, you just need to cement it in by reading it and seeing what the book says, and that'll give you a new perspective on it. And you can go from there. And so I think really sitting down, talking myself through it, and then diving in is what finally worked out for me.
0: Mm-hmm. So. With some of the hurdles that you've been through, maybe what are some really good resources out there that maybe you've experienced or you've seen or you use that other younger aviators could uh, could use to their advantage to help grow themselves in this field? I mean, maybe the simple answer is just people.
1: People is the. I mean, um, you go and talk to people. I mean, they've most people at the airport they've done it. Or you can find one person that has done it. They have gone through, they've gotten to where you're at, and you know, they are all good resources. And I think one of the most important aspects um, of an airport is what I call, or what Dad and I call, hangar flying, and that's sitting in the hangar, listening to everyone else share their stories, whether it be good, bad, or ugly and taking something from each story and saying, and just putting it in your little bag of tricks. Um, and I think that can be utilized for, you know, ratings. I think that can be utilized for technique. I think that can be utilized for mistakes. I think that can be, I mean, there's just such a wide range of where that can help out. And, um, and so I think one of the biggest resources is other people.
0: So, So if you could send yourself a message, you know, thinking back when you started the journey maybe five years ago, what would you tell the younger Ryan knowing what you know now?
1: Get your butt in gear. (laughs) Have that talk with yourself earlier. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I wish I, I mean, I know I said I don't like to sit there and complain about what I did or didn't do, but I mean, looking back, if I would have gotten everything going a little sooner... I think I'd be a little happier with it. But the thing is, I'm in, I, I feel like I'm in such a good position right now. I, mm-hmm. I can't argue with that at all. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's all I could really say, you know, to myself in the past or just enjoy it. I mean, I know I did enjoy it, but there's, there's some memories where you just sit back and think on it. It was like, that was a really good time. I hope I truly did enjoy it as much as I remember enjoying it.
0: Yeah, And maybe that's it. I mean, All right, so maybe the last question to top off, you know, your portion of the aviation piece of the podcast. What is, you know, except for being happy because you said it a few times, what would be your ultimate dream in aviation? To share
1: it with as many people as I can. Friends, family, acquaintances. Just getting to, you know show them maybe a little piece that they haven't got to see before and, um, you know, maybe help somebody out through a rough spot. I mean, who knows? Maybe me mentioning that, hey, sit down, talk to yourself, realize this is something you got to get through. Who knows? Maybe that helps somebody. And so to sit there and share and help and do that is the, that's, that's the goal. All
0: right, well, I mean, we have gotten through, you know, you know, your beginning life uh, of where you started in aviation and kind of what made you you. Then we, we talked about kind of your commercial pilot life and, you know, your how you grew up flying all the warbirds and how that's really kind of cemented a piece uh, of, you know, your aviation career, and then getting into the mechanic part, because I really think the A&P side of what you did, I mean, it's very, very interesting, because not very many aviators do that. And I think kind of that's what's really interesting about your whole circle and your whole resume uh, in the aviation space. And I think I mean, it's it kind of makes me want to learn more about the 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 mechanical (laughs) side of things. You know, it's like, it was kind of funny, because our own fly club, they're like, Oh, yeah, we're doing uh, now that the weather's getting better and warmer we're going to start letting people know when we're actually doing service and stuff. If you want to come out, watch this, that. And I'm like, yes, like this is what I want to learn about. Like I can, I can fly the plane, but I don't know how all the other services going. So that is something this year that I'm putting a big stress on is learning the actual maintenance side, uh, of these aircraft. But now we're going to get into my favorite part of the podcast. And this is the part of the podcast that we get, not serious and we get a lot more i don't know laid back and fun and funny but this is the lightning round and the lightning round is 10 questions that i ask all my guests it's all the same questions because i'm not i'm not letting anybody off the hook everybody's got to answer them and it's got to be something off the tip of your tongue it can't be you can't think about it you just got to blurt it out whatever you think so if uh if you're down to answer the lightning round questions are you ready Let's do it. All right. Question number one. Everyone in aviation has their own quirks. So, on a scale of one to 10, how weird do you consider yourself? 10. Oh, yes. All right. We continue it. I have not gotten anything below a seven. Anything seven or above, I consider a win because I even answer myself as like an eight. So, all <laughs> right. We're good there. All right. Question number two What's your favorite word? Oh uh, shoot! Un-from-Gethered. gathered. Un what? from All right. I, I'm not even gonna ask what what that means. Actually, I am if, gonna ask what that means. <laughs> if everything goes together,
1: well, then when it comes unfromgethered.
0: Okay. See. I got it. All right.
1: And I think i only use that because I told Kayla that earlier today.
0: I'm sure there's
1: a word I like a lot more, but that was what was on the tip of the tongue. All so right. that's what you
0: get. All right. Question number three. No, that's not bad because I, like I say, I love to learn new things every day. And that was definitely something I just learned today. So there's Don't one Don't try to look it up in the dictionary because <laughs> I won't promise you won't find it. All right. Question number three. What's your favorite food?
1: Uh, lasagna because that's what I had for lunch.
0: Okay, I love Italian food. Anything Italian's my thing. Question number four: What sound or noise do you absolutely love? Ah, uh, airplane. Any specific? Nope. Just the airplane. Airplanes. All right. Question number five: What's the most important thing you carry with you on every single flight? Uh, uh,
1: sh- <laughs> um, clothes. Don't fly naked.
0: <laughs> you telling me there's not a naked cowboy <laughs> around there flying somewhere? Just like they find I'm in sure New York.
1: There. I'm sure there's somewhere, but I know I forget a lot of things <laughs> flying, and clothes I haven't forgotten once. So that's an important thing. All
0: right, I like this. You're actually saying it on the tip of your tongue. Okay, I like this. All right, question number six. What profession other than your own, and you can't say a mechanic either because I still consider that your own, so what's pro- one profession other than your own that you would like to attempt in life?
1: Um, I guess you could say,
0: hmm,
1: I don't know, something with fish. I like scuba diving and, and swimming, so anything that I get to be in the ocean will for. Yeah. it work.
0: Awesome. All right. Question number seven. What are you not very good at?
1: Uh, rapid fire questions.
0: Rapid fire. Okay. <laughs> Man, throwing me out of the bus. All right. All right. All right. That's why I love this. Okay. Now everybody knows when they go and follow you that not to ask Ryan rapid fire questions. <laughs> um, all right. Question number eight. What is your ultimate dream in life? Uh, hmm.
1: I don't know. Fly, all, fly all the cool airplanes. Enjoy it. Th- that's,
0: that's it. All right. Question number nine. What is your biggest pet peeve in aviation?
1: Uh, in aviation, um, pointless radio calls.
0: Okay. You know, being young and still maybe a little less experienced, I, I can say when I started training doing my solos, I probably made a few, a hey, few of yeah. those. Everybody does? <laughs> I know I
1: have too, but there's some I just wonder, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. But, hey, some people, that that calms them. If that's the case, I guess go for it.
0: All right, last question. Question number 10. If you could fly anything today, what would you fly?
1: Any fight, fighter.
0: If you had access to any plane today and the president said, hey, uh, tell me what plane you want to fly, I will get it for you today, one time, what are you going to fly? bear cap. Okay. All right. That's a respectable answer. I like it. That's it. it. <laughs> All right, well that wraps up the lightning round. See, I told you. Now we know that we can't ask Ryan rapid fire questions, but they are still really good ones. Those were some really good answers, so I loved it. But that's what I love about the lightning round. It's just meant to <laughs> it's meant to be fun and funny and not so serious. That's why that's why I stick it at the end of every podcast. But now we're going to start wrapping up the podcast. Um, so I'm going to we're going to get to the final questions, and it's going to. I'm going to ask you one question, and then you're going to ask me one question. I don't know what you're going to ask. So for me, it's really impromptu, um, and I think it'll make for some interesting content. And then I'm going to ask you one last question before we finish it all off. So the question I want to ask you is the final question What do you want people to remember you as?
1: A friend. I think that's a good one. Mm -hmm. A friend, one one that helps and is there when needed.
0: Just somebody you can always count on.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I I admit I've got my faults. Sometimes there's been times where I should have been somewhere for something, but you know, I usually try to when I'm needed be there.
0: So awesome. All right. So what is the question? Uh, I know I sent these questions prior that you kind (laughs) of. Kinda of got to look, but I don't know what you're gonna ask, so I'm really intrigued. What's your one question you're gonna ask me? Okay. <laughs>
1: I gotta laugh about this for a second. Alright, <laughs> oh, I can't do it. <laughs> I know this isn't as funny you as it is for me. Okay but mainly because there was a joke earlier today. So. Fast forward 20 years. The world's post-apocalyptic society. People are, you know, half the population's gone. You're one of the few in the state
0: of Texas. I like where this question's already going. This is going to be interesting.
1: (laughs) And, you know, the, the... City of Dallas is run down, you know. Bell helicopters gone. You know, Bell, you just Bell helicopter
0: hold. already is gone. We're only Bell now.
1: <laughs> oh! Oh! Wow! Okay. Yeah. Well. Then. Jeez. I tell you what, twenty years from now, it really did a number on it. Then you lost <laughs> the other four letters. But uh, yeah, so the world's world's completely run down, and you have to choose. Crunchy or smooth peanut
0: butter. <laughs> Crunchy or smooth peanut butter. <laughs> All right. This just won the best podcast episode ever. I swear. Oh, man. Um. Oh, jeez. Okay. Well, I'll base it on my answer that today, 20 years from now, it would be the same day and I'd answer purely based off today. And I would have to say crunchy
1: there you go yeah we were sitting there and i'm sitting there going well geez what should i ask him and kayla goes i don't know probably something stupid like you normally do and so that's what i crafted so that's what you get
0: <laughs> no i like it it's here's the thing right like the reason why i stick that in there is because i don't know what people are gonna ask and <laughs> i mean i've had Something you know about my own company being placed on me, like a question about me and maybe what I thought, you know what? Why I built the podcast, this and that, but like that's that's exactly why I asked that question. I didn't expect that at all.
1: (laughs) I didn't expect that at all,
0: not one bit. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god I'm gonna I'm gonna have to I'm gonna go ask my wife that Actually after I'm done. <laughs> Go ask her uh, that's And I'm gonna pose it Literally the same way You said it Like okay yeah, honey you just, you like gotta, Apocalypse This is You know ten year, Dallas is gone you're, you, you might be the only place here But if the, If you go to the grocery store And there's Crunchy And creamy peanut butter And that's the only thing What are you gonna choose <laughs> 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 I love it It no, no, no. comes around You know Kind of a surprise <laughs> Left hook there at the end all right. <laughs> All right. So we'll get to my last question so we can wrap this up. Um, what kind of question would you like to be posed to the audience? You know, my small but growing audience. What do you want to ask them? <sighs> what is. Well, hmm.
1: Let's take this to a flyby crew standpoint. When we're at these events, you know, one thing we're asked to do is cover it through social media mm-hmm. what is something people following our little path through this a certain event what would they like to see more of do you want to see you know what events are going on what seminars are going on would you rather just sit there and ask us questions at some point and sit down and have a formal you know face-to-face i don't know a live video whatever be it yeah. um yeah. just just something along those lines i mean Cause, uh, like I said, I am not the best with social media. I don't know why I have to. Uh, not that why, but you know, I don't know what people are looking for when you know AOPA asks us to go and do these these events. You know what exactly I need to be putting out there. So I don't know. Maybe some insight on that from. From people
0: listening. All right. So we're going to pose that question to everybody out there. I'm going to pose that on social media and I'll put that on my stories too. Uh, mm-hmm. And we'll also post it uh, under the, the episode details when we release the podcast. <laughs> so the last question we talked about social media, you just talked about it and you just asked the question, but where can people find you out on social media?
1: Um, on social media? Uh, I'm pretty easy. Ryan, the pilot person um, started that one at some point, but anyways, that's what I came up with and, I haven't changed it since. So that on Instagram, and uh, don't do Twitter, so you won't find me there. I think there's an old account somewhere, buried deep, but Facebook, just find me and add me as a friend.
0: <laughs> might have to, might have to change your handle to at Ryan the Crunchy Peanut Butter Person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, Ryan, man, I really appreciate uh, you joining us on the podcast today. I know it's, it's getting a little late there, but thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for giving us your insight and so much of the experience that you've been able to uh, to, to have here uh, in aviation and share it with everybody today. So thank you very much for, for being, uh, being on the show. But for all the listeners out there, make sure you go follow him on social media, uh, follow all the cool things that he's doing. Uh, and, and maybe just send them a DM what you thought about uh, today's episode. So thank you very much for listening, Ryan. Thank you again for being a part uh, of the episode and everybody. I hope everybody has a great rest of their week and we will see you next time on the next episode of the Abby Chronicles podcast. Thanks.